at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him in the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law? And yet, contrary to the law, you order me to be struck. Please be seated. We've been looking at the Acts, the early church. And we see that there's a lot of difficulties going on. A lot of trials with the church is growing. Paul has completed many missionary journeys, but now he's back in Jerusalem. He's getting passed back and forth between the Romans and the Jews. Similar to what Jesus did when he was there. These guys are trying to pass judgment on him, just like they did on our Lord. And they don't even follow the laws that are in place. Again, just like our Lord. Do it unjustly. They have an agenda. The Jews do want to use the Romans to get rid of Paul. Or they'll do it themselves. But it's just like Jesus. They use the Romans to execute our Lord. You know, when the Romans do find out that Paul is a Roman citizen, they straighten out their act. They have just laws for Roman citizens, witnesses, counter-witnesses, no punishment unless you're guilty. It's amazing how if you follow biblical principles, even when you're in an ungodly culture or nation, it benefits the people. It's a blessing to the people. But God does use even ungodly rulers, ungodly people to advance his kingdom. He said, take dominion of the earth. And that is exactly what is happening with mankind. We are taking dominion and God uses all people to advance his dominion over the earth. It is a blessing if they do it according to his laws godly. But also, you know, when you see wicked men, when they realize that if they do ungodly things, they may be punished or lose their income or their lives or their prestige, their power, it straightens them out. But that's what God's laws do. They prevent wickedness to reign. Even if it's a wicked nation, if they follow biblical principles, it restrains men from being wicked. If the wicked are punished, it restrains other people to do wicked things. Even if they're doing it just for their self-interest so that they're not punished. And that's what this Roman official does. 
But he's still confused as to why these Jews hate Paul so much. He doesn't understand it. He tries to get to the bottom of it, and that's where we're at. Paul will go ahead of the Sanhedrin. That's the council of 70 elders who ruled over the Jews, plus the high priest. And that's where we're at. This guy, this Roman official, this tribune, he has Paul go before them. In verse, you know, starting in chapter 23, and looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. So he starts with a pretty casual greeting for them, you know, the brethren. That's a friendly greeting of the day. However, as he continues, you know, he says things that I think could be offensive to the people of the way and to the Jews. I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. Was Paul saying he was correct in following his conscience when he was persecuting the church and the saints? Was he referring to after his conversion that he walked in all good conscience, that he followed the truth? You know, and the scholars have many, many different opinions on this statement. Some of them believe, and I, I kind of think this is what Paul is saying, is that Paul lived his life measured. He was conscious of pleasing God his whole life. And I think he was. He was a student of the greatest teacher. Remember, he said he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He said it, you know, that he had no fault according to the law. I think God, that Paul was trying to please God all the time, living according to his conscience, even though he was misinformed. But it was still sin, persecuting the church, and he admits that. You know, it's still sin, even if we think our conscience is directing us in the right direction. And we have to realize that all of us come from a past, have a history I mean, if you're a Muslim and you're taught from young on that Christians are the great Satan, how will you respond to them as you get older? If that's all you've been taught. Hitler knew if he could get the youth and educate, educate the youth according to what he wanted, they could kill other people without even batting an eye. Were they doing it in good conscience? Probably some of them were. But it's still sin. There's accountability. God also gives us a conscience and the law on that conscience. But I guess we can understand some evil when that conscience is so seared from young on that they believe they're pleasing God by killing God's people. I think Paul may be just stating that he was a religious man. 
and was raised in an untruthful environment when he persecuted the church? I guess you'll have to decide. But, you know, I saw a video the other day. These cops walking by and these little kids cursing the cops. And some of these kids had diapers on yet. I mean, the oldest one maybe was eight years old. And they're cursing and cussing these cops out. What kind of citizens will they be? But what kind of parents teach that? I guess we can see why our nation is in such a mess. It is still sin when we reach the age of accountability, irregardless of our background. Again, that sin may be understandable, but it's still sin. And God can transform hearts, all hearts. Be careful what we teach our children, what we let our children see. Paul does make the case that he's a righteous man. And like I say, you'll have to decide for yourselves on that. Like I say, this is, these are some difficult texts in here. But these Jews are not looking for truth. They have an agenda, and they're going to keep to that agenda. These power-hungry zealots have pursued Paul all through his missionary journeys to try to stop him, to try to eliminate him. So it should be no surprise that when Paul enters for a hearing or into their court, that they will act like wretches. Because they are wretches. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. And here we see a tactic of all wicked men Silence any opposing view, even if it's breaking your own laws. You know, that's what, take them off Facebook. We don't want to hear any opposing views. Same thing today. We'll have a, a mock trial about January 6th and just have one side give their opinions, no opposing witnesses. It's the same, it's just wickedness. What does the Bible say? You know, the first time you hear something from somebody seems true until you hear the opposing view. That's why God's laws cause for witnesses and counter-witnesses. But history tells us how wicked the, the high priest had become. They were agents of Rome. They were at bed with the Romans because that brought them great wealth being in authority. And anything that threatened their way, the status quo, the well-being, had to be stopped. Paul was threatening that way. The people of the way were threatening that way. Calling for laws and righteousness. Josephus, the historian, records that Ananias was a thug. He was a thug. A greedy, money-grabbing thug. He'd take the money from the everyday priest and use that to bribe the Romans and the businessmen. Josephus also records that Ananias would have people bumped off if they were a threat to him. He'd have them assassinated. 
You know, he was just like a mafia boss. You know, just oh, go wipe that guy out. He's threatening our cash flow. They had no fear of God and no desire for justice. You know, that's why he smacked, had one of his thugs smack Paul in the face. Paul couldn't even finish a sentence and whack. Paul responds with a warning and a chastisement. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting in judge to judge me according to law, and yet contrary to the law you order me struck? Remember, Paul knew the law. Paul was an expert of the law. He sat under the greatest teacher. Paul was a brilliant man. He knew there had to be witnesses, counter-witnesses, and he did not torture or strike somebody or punish somebody unless they were convicted of something. Paul's warning Ananias of judgment to come. Judgment comes to all the wicked, either on this side of eternity or the other. Those who stood by said, would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Here's some of the Jews that were there. You should not revile me with a horn. (laughs) Sorry. Here the people... You know, they may have been devout Jews. They understood the law. And they, they go, Paul, are you going to chastise the high priest, speak against the high priest? And Paul says, tells him, he says, I didn't know that it was the high priest. At least we're getting a different tune. (laughs) So they're chastising Paul for reviling or speaking against the high priest. And Paul says, you know, I didn't know he was the high priest. Here again, the scholars go on and on and on talking about whether Paul knew he was a high priest or not. I just take Paul at his word. He didn't know. How or why he didn't know doesn't matter. But Paul does demonstrate his knowledge of law by stating that what it, that he, he chastised, but he says he should not Revile God's high priest. You know, God does put rulers in place. And we must respect their positions. You know, it's like elders and deacons. It says you get to give them double honor. Which means we should be very careful in bringing charges against those in authority over us. 
Unfortunately, some in the church use this, and along with Romans 13, to say we should never ridicule or disagree with a ruler or somebody in authority over us, and that's not what the Bible teaches. That's a pietistic view that for the most part has been gives people a license not to address the society around them. And unfortunately, it's been so popular in our country, we see why our country is such a mess, and we see furries in the school and drag queens. It's because godly people do not chastise when they must. You know, when we look in the Old Testament, we see countless prophets chastising the leaders. Calling them names. And what did Jesus say? You know, everybody says, well, we've got to do what Jesus does. Like, what, did, what would Jesus do? Well, I'll tell you what Jesus did. And you judge for yourself whether we should chastise rulers or officials because God did never, he never broke the law. He was perfect. He was not a lawbreaker. Matthew 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe, mint, the dill, and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence, you blind Pharisees. First clean the inside of the cup and the plate, then the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within you are of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? So are we to criticize rulers? I say we should be like Jesus is. Or was, is. We have to be very careful. The rulers are put in place by God. They are people of authority and we have to be careful. We are to give them double honor, but not a free reign. You know, it's like in our own denomination. Our classes brought up charges against other classes for allowing homosexual elders or deacons. And luckily, the, the synod did do the right thing. 
God's law speaks to all areas of life. And we have to look at all of Scripture to see what we and how we are to act. And it says all Scripture is God-breathed, and it is for rebuking. And that rebuking does not stop with those who are officials above us when their sins are so grievous and so great. The sins must be brought out into the open. And it's godly people chastising. And you notice Paul never apologizes to Ananias. He doesn't say he's sorry. He's just giving a demonstration that he understands the laws. Again, so Paul was doing what Jesus did. You know that little saying that Paul told Ananias, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall? No, this doesn't say God may strike you. It says God is going to strike you. Well, in AD 66, somebody bumped Ananias off. It came true. A wicked, evil man. He was assassinated. But what Paul knows now is that this is an unlawful assembly that he will not receive justice. And he's been there before with these Jews trying to stone him, beat him with rods, out to kill him. Remember, Paul is an educated man, a wise man, so he uses a tried and true tactic because he wants to get out of there with his skin. He doesn't want to get killed by these Jews. Divide your opponents. Now when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of a Pharisee. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. So Paul does a tactical thing. He gets them fighting among themselves. He understood the law, but he also understood who the Sadducees were and the Pharisees were. And they hated each other. So he just stirred the pot a little bit. Get the attention off him. It says, Then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply, We find nothing wrong in this man. What if a spirit or angel spoke to him? Again, there's great disagreement among these groups about the resurrection, and Paul stirred the pot. He was trying to get out of this sham of a hearing. You know, we see how the wicked had progressed. You know, at least when Jesus was there, they pretended to give him a trial. Here, they don't even want to give Paul a trial. They don't even pretend. But that's what happens when wickedness does not go unchecked. And these are the rulers who had wickedness and did not go unchecked. They become more wicked. More sin. More power. More greed. 
And that's what we see here. But they're getting to the ripeness of their sin because these Jews will be destroyed in 70 A.D. And this is about, I think, uh, 70, 62 or so. And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from among them by force and bring him to the barracks. Here again, this Roman tribune interposes and saves Paul's life. They're ready to tear him to pieces. Now this can only be by the hand of God because think about this tribune. Remember he had Paul bound and was going to scourge him? Now if the people over this tribune would hear that, this guy could be in trouble. He could be charged just for binding Paul. So if he would have let Paul been torn to pieces, he wouldn't have to worry about Paul speaking or saying, you know, this guy tied me up and was ready to scourge me. Would have been an easy out for him. But God is protecting Paul. It's not Paul's time. It's not Paul's time. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. You know, we see this great encouragement from God that he is with Paul. He's reminding Paul that his work here is not yet done. He will go to Rome. But you know that closeness that Paul has here, yeah, it's supernatural. But we have that too. That's what gives us that peace that surpasses all understanding. And I think all of us as believers have felt that at some time when we have such difficulties that we come to the end of ourselves and we have no solutions and we turn it over to God and we get peace, we get comfort. Our God is with us and he will always be with us even in the difficult times. However, these Jews are still out to eliminate Paul. And some of Ananias' thugs, they step up to the plate. When it was days, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 who made this conspiracy. They went to the chief priests and elders and said, we have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food till we have killed Paul. Now therefore, you along with the council give notice to the tribune to bring him down to you as though you were going to determine his case more exactly and we are ready to kill him before he comes near. You know, just like the wicked today, they're always plotting evil. You know, it's in their nature. Agents of Satan at worst, seekers of their own self-interest at best. Always scheming, always trying to get the upper hand. How can we silence this guy so we can keep power? And these thugs, how can, you know, if we kill Paul, we're going to be in good with Ananias. Maybe he'll give us a few bribes or that. You know, it seems like a good and well-thought-out plan, a good scheme. Put these players in play. Just uh, tell the tribe when we want to talk to him again, and when he brings them out, we'll kill him. 
But God also has his players in place as well, his saints. Another important fact, we are never alone. God has brothers and sisters in the Lord that we don't even know that benefit us at times. Now the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush, and he went and entered the barracks and told Paul, Paul called one of the centurions and said, Take this young man to the tribune, for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the tribune and said, Paul, the prisoner, called me and asked me to bring this young man to you, and he has something to say to you. The tribune took him by the hand and going aside asked him privately, What is it that you have to tell me? And he said, The Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire something more closely about him. But do not be persuaded by them, for more than 40 of their men are lying in ambush for him, who have bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they are ready, waiting for your consent. So the tribune dismissed the young man, charging him, Tell no one that you have informed me of these things. You know, again, here we see God is with his saints. God is with his saints. Our days are numbered. And if evil men want to kill us, it is only if God allows it. We cannot add or detract a day from our life or an hour. Evil men cannot detract a day from our life as well. When our time comes, it comes. Some will be martyred, but it's only because God allows it. Paul would be martyred in the future, but his time is not now. And I believe God intervenes in our lives far more than what we notice. Far more than we noticed. You know, a couple of years ago, we're coming here to church to preach on AW, and somebody blew the stop sign on Highway A. They never even slowed down. Three of those rumble things. Two seconds sooner, they would have broadsided us. They were going about 60, 70 miles an hour. They ended up 100 feet out in the cornfield after probably flying 60 feet through the air. But I know in my life, all the driving I've done, I've had times where I thought I should just slow down for this blind intersection for some reason, and the car zipped right through. I think God interferes far more than we realize. When I was in construction, we had a crane boom break, and the crane tipped over. Six guys working on a footing, and the boom fell right between three on one side, three on the other. A foot either way, three men would have been killed. Our God intervenes. Don't worry about your lives. When your time's up, you're done. God will call you home. It won't be before that time. It won't be after that time. So why worry? There's nothing you can do about it. Unless he returns, and I don't think he'll return for a while, we're all going to die. Again, why worry about it? We'll be with our Savior.
our lives continue. Only better. You know, what really is amazing, though, this tribune, he believes Paul's nephew. He doesn't even give it a second thought. I think he knew who Ananias was. Most people know how wicked, wicked men are. No matter how hard they try to hide it, people know about wicked men. Maybe this guy even received a few bribes. But he knew it, he believed them, or God intervened. So this tribune, then he called two of the centurions and said, get ready, 200 soldiers with 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen to go as far as Caesarea at the third hour of the night, also provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him safely to Felix the governor. And he wrote a letter to that effect, to this effect. He believes him, but look, he puts hundreds of his soldiers to protect Paul. He intervenes again. These 40 assassins are not going to get to Paul. Not going through a hundred or several hundred trained and armed soldiers. Again, God is protecting Paul. You know, and I wondered what happened to these guys who took that oath. Did they starve themselves to death? No, they, they had an oath because uh, at this time the, the Sanhedrin said, you know, if there are things beyond your control, you know, you, you could break your oath. So these guys probably had supper that very night. But he gets a letter and he sends it to Claudius. He says, Claudius Lysias. To His Excellency, the Governor Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them when I came upon them with the soldiers and rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman citizen and desiring to know the charge for which they were accusing him. I brought him down to the council. I found that he was being accused about questions of their law but charged with nothing deserving death or imprisonment. And when it was disclosed to me that there would be a plot against the man, I sent him to you at once, ordering his accusers also to state before you what they have against him. You know, it's a nice letter. Nice letter by this Claudius Lysias. But is it perfectly accurate? You know, he rescued Paul before he knew he was a Roman citizen. He only found out he was a Roman citizen when he had him bound and was about to flog him. But for some reason, he doesn't mention that in the letter. You know, wicked men always look out for themselves. Selected memory. I think all of us have some of that on things that happen. This guy, he wants to look more like a hero than a lawbreaker. He wants to protect himself, so he doesn't mention that he was about to flog this guy or he broke Roman law by binding him. You have to understand, the Romans really punished lawbreakers. If you said you were a Roman citizen, you were severely punished if you were not. But also, if you broke Roman law, especially these rulers, 
they're always afraid that they would be replaced and removed. And many times when they were removed, you might say it was removed permanently. So this guy, he embellishes it to make himself look good. But don't we all do that? Try to make ourselves look good or are tempted to. So the soldiers, according to their instructions, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris. And on the next day, they returned to the barracks, letting the horsemen go on with him. When they had come to Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor, they presented Paul also before him. On reading the letter, he asked what province he was from. And when he learned that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will give you a hearing when your accusers, accusers arrive. And he commanded him to be guarded at Herod's, Herod's praetorium. Again, here we see a wicked ruler. Felix was a wicked man, but he's acting godly. But his self-interest is in jeopardy if he doesn't. He wants to make sure that he has jurisdiction over Paul. Yeah, he's from Cilicia, so yeah, that's my jurisdiction. But also, he's going to bring in witness and have Paul be a witness. Again, we see the laws of God working even in an ungodly culture there. As long as their laws coincide with God's law, it's a blessing to the people. This is a blessing to Paul. They're going to give him a fair shake. Maybe they will be seeking out the truth. The next time we'll get into what happens. But what do we learn from today? I think the biggest thing we learn from today, from this portion of Scripture... Anyways, it was for me is that our well-being and our lives are in God's hands. God has people, even non-believers, who will interpose for his saints when we follow his will and we are doing his calling for us. We are all important members of his church and are to advance his church. And he has tasks for us to do, and he will have us complete those tasks to advance his church at this portion in history. God does use the ungodly to advance his culture, to take dominion over the earth. God uses all people to take dominion, which he commanded man to do. Subdue it and take dominion over the earth. You know, as bad as the Romans were and as wicked as they were, we still use some of their roads today that they built, and their aqueducts were a marvel of construction. They advanced things in the culture. What it means is God's will will be done through his saints and through others. Our lives are measured. There is an ending point and we cannot change that. We can live for God and see how He changes the culture through us. 
That is our responsibility. Let us pray. Lord and our God, I pray through these words in the study of your early church that we realize that how special we are to you, O Heavenly Father. When it tells us in the scriptures that we will do greater works than these, it's exactly what you mean, that you will use your church and your saints to advance the church throughout the world. The wicked will howl, they'll bark, they'll scream. But it's your word, your truths that advance godliness and a blessing to the people. I pray, O oh Lord, that we all seek out that godliness, that our nation can be blessed. In Jesus' name, 